Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm the host and the editor of Mumbrella, Neil Griffiths, and I'm joined, as always, by the publisher of Mumbrella, Mr. Adam Lang. Adam, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure, Neil. Great to be here. We've got a very big show for you. Some news, some teasers, and of course, everyone's favourite segment, Adam's Other Business. So stay tuned for that a little bit later. Um, Adam, when I pitched you this segment, you looked at me quite perplexed. Let's be honest. (laughs) You were like, what's the angle here? I'm confused. That's my Adam Lang impression, by the way. Um, it's not bad. So it's it's all about Taylor Swift. So most Australian fans will know that her tour starts in Melbourne next week. She's got, I think, three shows at the MCG starting on the 16th of Feb and then four more shows in Sydney. Now, this conversation about Taylor Swift is not so much to fanboy, although I am a fanboy of Miss Taylor Swift. This is about Taylor mania. Mm. From a fan of music, which you and I both are, Adam, I can't recall an artist that has had this much hype, build, craze, madness around since the Michael Jacksons, the Beatles, as the seasoned veteran of Mumbrella. Yeah. Is that a a ludicrous suggestion? No, I don't think it is. In fact, I don't know that we've seen anything like it. She is everywhere and almost seemingly ever popular. Mm. It's um, it's quite incredible. So I'm I'm just going to throw some stats out here and you stop me if you need to dwell on any in particular. So let's just, to recap, in the US, the reports that the Eras Tour, the tour that is coming to Australia, is projected to generate close to $5 billion in consumer spending in the United States alone. Taylor Swift, as of October, is a billionaire, thanks to this tour. Her Eras Tour concert, which hit cinemas in October, earned an estimated $96 million domestically over its opening weekend, making it the most commercially successful concert film of all time. That right there, like you think of Michael Jackson's This Is It, which, by the way, came out after his death. Beatles Hard Day's Night. Beat it. As of December, it made over $180 million US. Incredible. And she's shown through this too. What an astute business person she mm. is. You know, she created this film. She owns the film. She did the distribution rights. This is not normal stuff. It is truly exceptional achievement. And she's in the middle still of re-recording her album because <laughs> Universal won't give her a catalogue. So rather than kick and scream like Paul McCartney kind of did when Michael Jackson bought the Beatles catalogue, Taylor said, great, I'll just go re-record them. And Universal just said, sorry. She wins. She does win. Yeah. She owns the master recording copyright. Yeah. And it's a, in addition to your, your songwriting, your composition, the words and the melodies you create and owning them, owning the master recording is a master stroke. Yeah. You know, it's you get to control the lot. Yeah. So let's go into this Australian tour. Over 300,000 people will see Taylor Swift at these shows coming up. More than 4 million were in the online queue waiting for tickets in June last year. What's the what's the population of Australia? 26 million, Jeez. roughly. Human calculator, what is the percentage there? Around about 15%. Wow. Okay. So in Melbourne, fans have to register for a spot at the merch pop-up store next week, three days before the show, by the way. There's been reports of domestic airlines and hotels in Melbourne and Sydney, possibly price gouging to cash in on this. Triple M, Australia's rock station, (laughs) is even cashing in with Aussie legends like Paul Kelly, the Screaming Jets, Ian Moss, Sarah McLeod. They're doing Taylor Swift covers up until next week's show. Paul Kelly has done a cover of Antihero. I think this is so clever. Well done, Triple M. It's really good, right? Yeah. What, as, as someone who used to work uh, closely with the Southern Cross Hysteria banner, yeah. what would the conversation have been like, say, 20 years ago? If we said, hey, guys, we're going uh, to do Madonna all week on Triple M. 
it, you look, there's a way to make things happen. And one thing that they were great at is coming up with great ideas and boldly going for them. So I remember being part of the Triple M brand relaunch and we got Slash to re-record the Dr. Dan theme music for right. Triple M. Yep. It was great fun. You know, and the idea even then you go, how could you, can you get Guns N' Roses Slash to do it? Well, I don't know. Let's give it a shot. And, and it happened. And that was Nikki Clarkson, the marketing wow. manager now, uh, or marketing director, I should say, uh, who was involved in that campaign. It was great fun to be part of. So I think this this sort of conversation at Triple M, they've got DNA of doing this sort of thing all the time. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant masterstroke by mm. Triple M. Now we move on to the Super Bowl, which is happening Monday morning lunchtime in Australian time. This is the numbers part that you'll love, Adam. <laughs> so it's estimated or reported that Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, who is also the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, they have generated an equivalent brand value of $331.5 million. That's $508 million in Australian dollars for the Kansas City Chiefs and the NRL. This is according to Front Office Sports. So that number comes from print, digital, radio, TV, highlights, and social media, mentioning Swift going back to her first game in September, then figuring out the equivalent dollar value for each instance based on reach and impact. Your reaction to that? Incredible. And, you know, the, the Super Bowl normally is as much about the game as it is the ads mm. and the halftime show, right? So here we've got another story, which is how much value is Taylor Swift incidentally bringing to the Super Bowl? That's incredible. Yeah. 508 million Australian dollars just from a brand value perspective. Because she's showing up. Because she's showing up. Now we get even deeper to the to the crux here. There's more attention about Taylor going to the Super Bowl as an attendee than the actual game itself <laughs> or the fact that Usher, arguably one of the biggest R&B acts of all time, is doing the halftime show. More attention on Taylor. The Embassy of Japan has released a statement assuring everyone that she will be getting back from Tokyo where she'll be doing the Eras Tour. She has to fly from Tokyo back to Vegas for the Super Bowl in time. The Embassy of Japan has told everyone, hey, everyone, it's fine. <laughs> Who called that? Who said this is a pressing matter? We need to tell the people it's going to be okay. So, you know, like at Christmas time when you watch Santa Claus <laughs> going around the globe, I would have Taylor watch, you know, and Elon Musk's Starlink satellite can make sure we know where Taylor Swift is at any given moment. <laughs> now, last step before we, we get into the wider conversation here, sports bet today have put up odds about <laughs> will, Travis, will Travis Kelsey propose to Taylor Swift? Ooh, what are the odds? <laughs> We've got Travis Kelsey proposing to Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl at $10. Swift is $1.66 to be shown more than seven and a half times on camera during the broadcast. Usher is at $10 to perform a Taylor Swift song during the halftime show. And it's $2 for Taylor Swift to be shown on camera during the national anthem. What about the odds on a duet, <laughs> Usher and Taylor together at uh, last? And then, of course, it will be shown on Channel 7 here in Australia. Uh, Lewis Martin, the managing director of Seven Melbourne, head of network sport, released a statement and it's just full of Taylor Swift puns. <laughs> so drink every time you hear a pun. As the free-to-air home of the NFL, we know all too well how massive Super Bowl Monday is and we cannot wait to deliver every moment live and free to all Australians. Mark that blank space in your calendar and join us right here on Seven, the only place to see it all live and free. Are you ready for it, Australia? Now, all of those facts and stats aside... Is this too much, Adam, in your opinion? When we talk about comparing that, let's say Taylor Swift is the closest thing we've had to genuine superstardom since a Michael Jackson. Is this too much? Is it good? Is it bad? I don't think it's too much. Okay. And uh, I'm still marvelling at the attention it gets. 
uh, I'm getting caught up in it. I think it's fantastic. And I think in part that is a tribute to the skill of Taylor Swift and her team in crafting this brand and doing all of this while not reaching exploitation level. You know, people are not saying, oh, it's just too much. Oh, I'm not. The commercial success is staggering and to me also is as impressive is the way in which she's doing it. She's doing it in what seems to be a very brand controlled, responsible way. It's still her. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think it isn't too much. Second point to that is how do you know when you've gone too far? Probably only when you've gone too far. So it's really hard to know mm. when that point is. But I, I think this is just incredible. Um, I'm I'm on a big tick for this. I think there's probably a bit more in it. When she gets here next week and performs these shows, when the reviews start coming in and you start seeing those people coming away for the concerts, glad that they waited in the online queues, glad that they saved their money, glad that they took the time to go and see the shows and buy the merch and however many versions of the album, singles and other are available, you know, that's probably the real test. How do the fans feel as they leave? And I suspect that they'll feel great. Again, from the marketing standpoint, you know, we compare Taylor Swift as a brand, obviously with the benefits of social media, the fact that there's 600 million cameras at an NFL game. When you compare that, say, when we think back to the early 90s of a Michael Jackson, there is no social media. If Michael Jackson showed up somewhere, mm. it's a surprise because he doesn't jump on his Twitter and announce, hey, guys, I'm going to be here. What is the difference there? Mm. Like, do you do you recall back in in the say the early nineties when this larger than life character is there? Were they cashed in as much, or could they cash in as much? Because simply, you didn't really know where he would be. No, I think the rate at which you can generate commercial return now is is far stronger. You know, the transactional element is is pervasive in everything online. So. Click here to get the ticket, to get the shirt, the merch, whatever, the album. That, that is just so easy. It's in everybody's hands in their mobile phone device. And that was never the case, you know, prior to 2007 when the iPhone first kicked in. Mm. Um, so it's different now, far more quickly commercializable now. But I think there's so much of it that's the same to even the Beatles or Michael Jackson over time. Um, it's word of mouth. It's people who are fans and super fans going, I don't just like what this person does. I want to tell someone else about it too, you know. So I'll jump on the phone or I'll run to my next-door neighbour's house and say, did you know X? Mm. You know, so in those scenes in Adelaide when the Beatles flew into town, sure. um, it, it, they're just incredible. People lining highways to, to see them and we'll probably see the same thing now, you know, certainly <laughs> when the, you know, the Japanese embassy is commenting on the logistics of getting Taylor Swift from one venue to another internationally, you know it's taken a step beyond. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun little segue as well. Like the Super Bowl halftime show is presented by Pepsi. Mm -hmm. Talking about Michael Jackson, of course, the famous Pepsi commercial that yeah. ended up kind of being the start of the demise for Michael Jackson as far as his hair getting set on fire. Beyonce did a campaign with Pepsi and this week Pepsi did a new campaign essentially taking a shot at Coke. Yeah. Strategic, no? Very much so. <laughs> Very much so, and good on them. Have a crack. Yeah. Well, um, another reason I wanted to bring all of this craziness up is because uh, some listeners may know already that last week we launched the Mumbrella one-on-one -on -one podcast series, the first guess of which is one of the headlining acts at Mumbrella 360 this May and the former chief marketing officer of Nike, Mr. Greg Hoffman. We're going to talk a little bit about that and share some snippets of part two right after the break. 
Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast with myself, Neil Griffiths, and Adam Lang. Adam, before the break, we talked about Taylormania and the marketing genius or madness of using celebrity in campaigns. And I mentioned there, last week we launched the Mumbrella one-on-one podcast series, and we started it off with Greg Hoffman, who, of course, is the former chief marketing officer of Nike, and he'll be headlining the Mumbrella 360 conference in Sydney this May. Uh, first of all, did you want to say anything formal as the publisher about this new series? <laughs> or should I just regurgitate the statement we released online? <laughs> oh, look, I definitely do. Um, so, Neil, I've been a fan of your podcasting separate to the Mumbrella cast. Thank you so much. And, no, it's terrific to have you here and, and working not just at Mumbrella as editor but, but doing this podcast too. So I think it's completely natural for you to do the, the one-on-one series interviews and – as you said, what a great way to kick off with Greg Hoffman. He is preeminent in his field. He's also just what an admirable person, you know, in terms of his career achievements and the way he conducts himself, just so impressive. And so when he comes here for Mumbrella 360, I'm looking forward to being one of the ones in the room that gets to hear him and meet him and, and experience that personally. But the series itself and kicking off with his interview We've broken it into two parts because there's so much to it. Part one is an absolute ripper, you know, where he has a crack at lazy marketing and you get that from all this really refined, achieving person and he has a crack at – you can tell what he doesn't like in that as well, mm. right? And so he's so honest about it. He's going, God, that's a good interview. Part two is just as good but we'll leave that for Friday. Yeah, so um – Again, I had a really great conversation with Greg and obviously working at Nike for 28 years, he's worked with some iconic names, uh, probably more so in the sports field, obviously, your Michael Jordans and your, I say your Michael Jordans and your Tiger Woods, like they're little indie people. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketballer of all time and Tiger Woods, one of the greatest golfers of all time. You know, we we did speak a little bit about, uh, in part one, you can listen to it right now at umbrella.com.au. We did talk about Kendrick Lamar, the famous US rapper. He did a campaign with Nike about the Nike Cortez sneaker. The connection here, of course, is that Kendrick grew, grew up on this sneaker. He has a connection to it. He's fan. He was passionate about it. And it did really well. I brought up the recent Snoop Dogg campaign, and we did a new story on this recently. Again, you can check it out on the Umbrella website. Uh, if you didn't know, Snoop Dogg pretended that he was giving up the, the can we the smoke. Thank you, Adam. Save me there. Um, which we kind of caught as a ploy pretty early on. Um, and it was soon to be revealed that, of course, it was a stunt to promote uh, solo stoves or outdoor fire pits. Uh, long story short, that was announced, I believe, in late November. By mid-Jan, the CEO at the time stepped down and they the company kind of came out and said that, you know, it was a good campaign, but it, it didn't generate the sales they were hoping for. And I put that to Greg, the idea of having a celebrity involved in a campaign, does it always mean it's a good thing? Now, Greg advocates a lot that obviously having a big celebrity attached to anything can help. I mean, using Snoop Dogg as another example, look at Menulog. I can't imagine Snoop is passionate about pizza and pasta, but that Menulog song is kind of iconic. Now. It works. But he's a big advocate of, number one, is there a connection? Is it authentic? It has to be authentic. Going back to the Snoop Dogg thing, I've got to assume maybe he's not the most passionate man about outdoor fireplace. <laughs> maybe he uses them, but I'm sure he's not the greatest fan. Then going back to what we said about Taylor Swift and the NFL, is this an authentic connection or is this the NFL cashing in? And obviously it's the NFL cashing in. What are your thoughts on the on the idea of milking celebrity for campaigns? 
oh, look, I, I think it can work. And I think if you take those two examples, I'm sure that Taylor Swift didn't uh, include her romance right, as part of her intended marketing. The fact that the NFL have appropriated it mm-hmm. and they're going to use it, good on them, right? But it's completely incidental and opportunistic. So I, I don't think this is Taylor Swift letting go of her brand in doing so, and I don't believe most people see it that way, so I think it's safe. In terms of Snoop Dogg, it, it's, I do agree with Greg Hoffman that you know the, the, the ability to test and learn mm. with the people you work with, any brand ambassador, is critical, and this might have been what he, what Greg Hoffman called version 1.0. It, it'll, as we know now, it will never get to see beyond that because they've cancelled the association. It stops and the CEO is gone. But you do wonder maybe if they just could have gone again. You know, why isn't why isn't it possible to try a different tack? And so, I don't think it, it's an issue of these being wrong or right or that Snoop Dogg got it wrong, or that the solo stove fire pits got it wrong either. Maybe they just didn't take the time to have another go. And and that failure, you know, people were too in, impatient for success and thereby called it a failure and that's over. We don't get to, to test, to iterate, to learn and do something different. So I'd say, look, I love the fact when people uh, get involved in a brand, anything they're passionate about can work. As you said, Kendrick Lamar, who would have known mm. what sneaker was important to him, but he puts his hands up for it and goes, no way, that's yeah. going to work for me. I want to do it. Yeah. it's We actually wrote about this, or rather our deputy editor, Nathan Jolly, wrote about this when we were kind of suspecting that this might be a ploy. In hindsight, the, the idea that Snoop was giving up the smoke got more attention than the campaign itself. And it comes back to the idea of if you're trying to build a connection with your audience, you can't dupe them. You can't, by the time it got revealed, everyone said, oh, okay. That's he's not giving up the smoke. He's he's selling a stove. Yeah. So look for for the uninitiated into the wonderful world of Snoop Dogg, <laughs> he is he is seen to have an association with marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> and so he what? And, he, yeah. He and the smoke have been longtime friends and collaborators, mm-hmm. you might say. <laughs> so when he sort of announced, "I'm giving up the smoke," as oh, come on, that can't be real. And sure enough, it wasn't real, and it was, I think, seen to dupe his audience. So I don't. I don't know that that worked for Snoop Dogg, but if anyone can survive brand tolerance, it seems like Snoop Dogg can. <laughs> yeah. Like it just seems, yeah, if you're a fan of his music and him, he's a master entertainer. He's so engaging. Ah, who cares? We'll give him another go. Yeah. So I think he has the brand resilience, if we can put it like that, to yeah. get through something like that. Yeah. It wasn't good, but it hasn't caused him any material harm. Yeah. The relatability as well is, is a key factor, and, and Greg and I spoke about this in the conversation he said one of the most successful and memorable Nike campaigns was when they sat down with Michael Jordan and fleshed out how many losses he had, how many shots he missed. Because if you try and build something up as essentially perfection, we can't relate to that. But that campaign where they kind of, the whole point was about Michael Jordan's biggest failures, he said turned out to be one of their biggest and best campaigns that connected with an audience. Yeah, it was through that exploring of the relationship and finding out what was important to him. And the insight, of course, was how many shots he'd taken as the final Mm. moment of the game where he's expected to win and he missed. But that gave him the strength and the determination to take the shots that did win the game. You know, that bravery, that courage and thinking, hey, he just does it well all the time. Of course he doesn't. You know, and learning that from him was so heartfelt and impressive. The other one was 
the Tiger Woods story, right? Yeah. Which didn't we learn from that one too in the interview? So to me, um, that was great. You know, setting up a an intended campaign, watching something happen and going, hang on, there might be something in this. But in that spontaneous moment going, we're going to go with that one. Yeah. That's a perfect tease as well because this is the part of part two I'm going to air right now. So again, you can check out part one on the Mumbrella website. This is a short snippet from part two, which comes out this Friday morning. And it's all about uh, really Greg reacting to the news that Tiger Wood had ended his near 30-year relationship with Nike in January. And he shares a little story about one of what turned out to be one of the most iconic Nike campaigns of all time. Check it out. And I know you've probably, your phone blew up, I imagine, a lot in the last few weeks. I did want to ask you because we know that you're such a passionate sports fan. Probably about three weeks ago now, it was revealed that Tiger Woods ended his near 30-year partnership with Nike. Firstly, what was your reaction to that news when you found out? Again, I have a lot of nostalgia, right? Because I feel, one, privileged to have watched Tiger through his career and especially at his peak. Uh, I bought my first golf clubs and took my first golf lesson literally the week after Tiger won his first Masters at the age of 21 wow. in 1997. Literally the next week. And that's the effect he had on the sport. When we talk about people that transcend their sport or transcend their their category whatever that is it means they're inviting people in to that arena that haven't necessarily had interest in that but it's so captivating the way you play because the thing about tiger not to get geeky here but i am a, a sports fan what people don't understand is he won that masters i believe by 12 strokes and what people have to understand is he shot a 40 on the front nine the first day, mm. right? So he was well over par, not having it go his way, and to then dominate in that way. Again, I'm, I'm going too far, but one of my favorite, you know, you talked about what are my favorite uh, ads of all time, and, and one of them that stands out because it's all about resourcefulness and spontaneity is the tiger hacky sack ad where he's hitting the golf ball on the end of his yeah. club and then at the end he throws it up and like a baseball hits it in the air and you know what i mean that only happened he was actually shooting another commercial and in between takes at that commercial out of boredom um was was doing that and uh, thankfully, uh, some of the Nike teammates saw him just on the side, you know, doing the hacky sack with the golf ball that, um, they were empowered to take that and go, you know what? I think there's an idea there. And that speaks to, I think that idea of, of allowing a little bit of spontaneity. If every, you know, as marketers, if everything you do is only possible because you were briefed to do it because if a hundred percent of what you're doing is because you it's on the business plan and the business brief but there's no room to introduce anything else beyond that i think you're not going to realize the incredible potential that's in your employees and and the team overall so i always talk about 
making sure that you leave just a little room uh, for improv, right, within mm -hmm. your process. doesn't have to be a lot. could just be 5% of what you do within a given month, but there's got to be time in a forum where you can show up and say, hey, you know, I, I was in, because a lot of the biggest ideas I was a part of, just a couple people in a hallway, mm. just going back and playing tennis with ideas back and forth. And then we just happened to be in a culture where you didn't need to ask for permission. You could flush that idea out and you could find an audience to listen, right? So really important for listeners to not lose um, that, you know, make yourself accountable for that, right? Don't always wait to be told um, what to do. Of course, this is a business. And of course, you can't be distracted from doing the business at hand. But also part of the value you bring is your ability to see things that others can't see, right? Just with the, the hacky sack anecdote there, I had no idea that wasn't a planned thing. When someone pitched that this should be an idea to use, was it welcomed? Was it a bit, you know, unknown territory, this will fall flat? What was the reaction when that was brought to the table? Yeah, and, and there's plenty of, I, I believe you can find a couple different case studies on that with a little bit of digging. You'll find, uh, hopefully, uh, that story has been told through, through YouTube, et cetera. And I think, again, it was welcomed, right? Because again, it gets back. So what's the insight? Well, the insight is, is that there is a lot of waiting sometimes, and you have to find ways to entertain yourself. And of course, most golfers at one time or another have tried to, and unfortunately with no success, do the bouncing ball you know golf ball on the end of the club right looks pretty easy really really difficult so my point is is it's relatable right because you've been there and now you're seeing someone do it at a completely different level so again why 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 would that be allowed to move forward maybe and in another company it wouldn't it's because there's a, a culture of understanding what greatness looks like when it comes to storytelling. Comes from, you know, revealing something that's, as I said before, not just another observation, but something that's makes someone go, ah, you know, I, I see it. So again, the Greg Hoffman part two one-on-one -on -one episode will air or be released rather on Friday morning. Be sure to check out part one. It is out everywhere right now, Adam. Yeah. And look, I'm going to listen again. <laughs> I am. Yeah, keep learning from this guy. He's so good. Well, we can also tease that the actual the video of this podcast will be out next week. Um, but again, he's headlining the Mumbrella 360 conference. You can get your tickets at mumbrella.com.au forward slash Mumbrella 360. Are we launching Mumbrella TV? Well, don't say that, but sure. Now we are. <laughs> okay. We can't edit this, Adam. You know this. <laughs> um, you know what? 
uh, it's it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Well, my favorite segment. <laughs> it is time for Adam's other business. I can't do another jingle because we've already talked about Taylor Swift and I'm awaiting her email back about this. So we'll let her give us the intro next week. But otherwise, Adam's other business. Adam, what is making other business? Okay, a few brief things. We had the Reserve Bank meet yesterday and keep interest rates on hold at 4.35%. Reserve Bank Governor Michelle Bullock... Her first press conference. So this is the new routine where the Reserve Bank will meet only eight times this year and not 11. And after a two and a half day meeting, eight times, <laughs> she will have a press conference and talk to journalists about what's going on. I think she was impressive. Yeah, you mentioned this. What what was so uh, special about this particular one? Well, she's the first female Reserve Bank governor. Yep. It was her first press conference and it was the first meeting under her stewardship uh, and for the year. So... Yeah, this is a new regime. Um, She basically kept interest rates on hold at 4.35. She said interest rate rises may not be over, so very cautious tone. And I think that is responsible, but also I would would hope that the prediction I have still stays in place, and that is that we are working towards interest rates dropping in the second half of this year, and I hope that will be welcome news for everybody. Absolutely. Um, second thing is Parliament is back this year and normally not a major item on the uh, Mumbrella agenda, but Stage 3 tax cuts look to be proceeding. So come 1 July, the amended Stage 3 tax cuts as proposed by Anthony Albanese's government seemingly will pass the lower house without opposition and so we will have, come 1 July, the passage to more money in our hands come 1 July, which is great news for cost of living pressure. Now, the third one, Neil, is a bit of a macro one, a bit of a bigger picture <laughs> thing. So close your eyes and come with me on this one. On this one. <laughs> I it always is, do. <clears throat> how elections impact brand and campaign. So around 50 countries in the world will be holding elections this year. That's over half the world's population. That includes Indonesia. It includes India. It includes the UK, likely. And, of course, the big one, Mm. the United States of America in November. Huge. So elections, why would I bring them up in a umbrella context of everything under the umbrella of marketing and advertising and media? Well, when election campaigns happen, political parties spend money. And it is often seen that media operators benefit from the growth in spending from political parties seeking to get voted. But what tends to happen is many consumers stop making some big decisions like, hey, should I buy a new house? Should I get a new loan? Should I get different insurance? Should I buy a car? All these significant decisions can take a pause because people aren't certain about the government that they'll have in what is going to be weeks' time. So what it can do is cause consumers in election campaigns to pause some decision-making and that in turn can pause some marketers spending money on advertising during election campaigns. So for media operators, what tends to happen is you have a neutral effect on elections and spending, right? So election spending doesn't seem to grow the pie and it can also cause brands and brand marketers to take a pause. So when we focus on Australia, when's our election? You know, Mm. it has to happen by April 25, April 2025, but it could happen this year. It can be called earlier. And if you imagine a situation where, hey, stage three tax cuts have gone through, people are feeling a bit of a benefit from more money in their pockets. Interest rates might be on the horizon of dropping or have dropped in the second half of this year. Maybe an election can be called earlier. Maybe an election can be held at the tail end of 2024. And just something for brands and marketers to look out for. 
in that political cycle. It's not right on our doorstep, but it's something to watch and consider in the plans for not just the end of 2024, but fiscal 2025. Just be careful though, Adam, because your segment has proved to come to fruition more often than not. <laughs> Pure speculation. Yes. Do you think that an Australian election will happen by the end of the year? No. Okay. So April. I think it's going to be early next year. Okay. But, you know, it's there is a chance because you can understand why a Labor government, if things are going really well, let's go to an election now. Yeah. And I like that you've mentioned we we don't know what effect Clive Palmer's advertising will have. <laughs> we do know he won't he will not be using Twisted Sister ever again. Oh my word. And those those yellow campaigns that we saw everywhere yeah. and heard on radio and so on. And just the tens of millions of dollars he spent. What a spectacle that was. Yeah. Well, stay tuned because Clive Palmer joins us next. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Adam, thank you very much for Adam's other business. Thank you kindly, Neil. That is all the time we've got for today. Again, you can check out mumbrella.com.au for all the stories and be sure to subscribe to the daily newsletter. Um, you can check that out on the website. That's all the time we got for. This is the Mumbrella cast. Remember to hit follow and head along to the website for everything we've spoken about today. We'll see you next week.